This is State of Water. This is State of this Water. This is State of Water. This is State of Water. State of Water coming at you right now. State of Water, a podcast focusing on clean water issues and their relationship to policy, equity, community, and climate. Featuring captivating interviews with Michiganders from many walks of life, State of Water is the official podcast of the Clean Water Campaign for Michigan, a program of the nonprofit organization Title Track. Hey, this is Jenny from Title Track. If you resonate with what you're about to hear, put those feelings into action. Take the first step toward getting involved by going to titletrackmichigan.org slash contact to sign up for our mailing list. Welcome back, friends. Thanks for lending your ears. Greetings, friends. Chris Good, Communications Director for Title Track and the Clean Water Campaign for Michigan here. And as we come to a close here in 2023, Really excited to turn the microphone around and feature our State of Water host and Title Track founder, Seth Bernard, in the first of two episodes where we'll be featuring Seth and some reflections and insights from the One Water Summit that Seth recently attended in Tucson, Arizona, as well as uh, a check-in about the state of the Clean Water Campaign for Michigan and the State of Water podcast. Some of what, uh, some of what we've learned, some of Seth's uh, visions for the future. In this first episode, Seth recorded some travel log style reflections and insights, inspirations from his experience at the conference with water activists from all across the country. Throughout this episode, uh, we'll be enjoying some music from Seth's recent album, Headwaters, which is a beautiful album of instrumental home recordings, and all proceeds from this album, which is featured on Bandcamp, go to support the work of the Middle East Children's Alliance. They are currently providing emergency assistance to families who have fled their homes amidst the ongoing attacks on Gaza, as well as procuring emergency medical supplies for hospitals and clinics. As the year comes to a close, we also invite you to consider supporting our work here at the State of Water podcast. We are excited to continue this work of amplifying, uplifting the voices and stories of frontline activists who are working for clean water, for water equity, for water affordability, for climate resilience, we appreciate your support and listening and sharing with your friends and family and your financial support. Thank you so much and hope you enjoy this episode with Seth sharing from the One Water Summit in Tucson, Arizona. Greetings, peace, peace. Just got into my hotel room here in Tucson after a long day of travel. Started at 8 a.m. Eastern Time, and it's 11 Mountain Time now. And I have arrived at the One Water Summit put on by the U.S. Water Alliance. 
I'm a part of a delegation from the Water Equity and Climate Resilience Caucus that I am proud to serve on for the last several years um, with frontline environmental justice leaders from all over the country. And the One Water Summit is going to be an interesting um, kind of sector-wide gathering of people who are doing work like what we do with water equity, affordability, um, more in activism and shaping policy. And then also a lot of folks in the utility sector, people who manage municipal water systems and wastewater treatment facilities and things like that. So I'm very interested in um, learning more, making new friends. Um, and I brought my guitar and um, looking forward to bringing some, some music, some spiritual connection, some, some of that relationality um, to each other and to water into this space and uh, bringing curiosity. Sat next to a guy on the flight from Chicago to Houston who is in the sales of water purification systems. And we had a wonderful conversation about the human right to water. And he was talking about how important it is uh, for people to come together through different walks and different approaches to uphold that. And um, he was enthusiastic about new innovations and filtration technologies and uh, things becoming more accessible um, and more effective. And, uh, and then when I got to Tucson, my Lyft driver been playing alternative rock since 1990. So we talked about music the whole time and the power of music. And um, he was saying that music is essential for him to help him collect himself. So just sitting down and playing guitar or writing a song um, helps him collect what he's been going through. And I can relate to that so hardcore. And, and it was so cool <clears throat> because water and music, these are the elements of my life and my path and my work that I've, I feel so much passion around these essentials that we all need and that uh, help connect us to our shared humanity. And both of these things, I, will, I would go to bat for people's right for clean water in any way that I possibly could. You know, and for me, that's looked like showing up at conferences like this and policy strategy sessions. It means hosting the State of Water podcast and um, arts and culture is such a huge part of it. And then with my career as a musician, too, having activism and having um, organizing be a part of my work as a musician makes it so much more meaningful. And um, having um, a place that I'm coming from in terms of my deeper longings for the world and for the future um, to inform my songwriting and what I bring to the stage and, and what I bring... Um, to the privilege of the microphone. So everything's teed up here, and um, 
and my guitar always happy when I can get across the country and open up the case and my guitar is not only it has not been damaged but it's still in tune oh yeah but first I'll be catching up on some sleep peace peace from Tucson, end of day one of the One Water Summit, 11-14-23. Wow, big day. I feel so encouraged by what I'm learning, what these folks are up to, uh, so heartened to be in the company of, of so many good people from all over the country, hundreds and hundreds of people working to uphold the human right to clean water, uh, working on aff affordability. I went to this first breakout session this morning, or uh, the first session this morning, and within it there were all of these breakout sessions. Uh, each table did some work and some brainstorming and sharing of like experiences and knowledge around affordability. And um, we've seen you know, amazing leadership come out of Michigan with We the People of Detroit and Monica Lewis-Patrick working on affordability nationwide. Um, but there's people in cities across the country that are trying to help make sure folks can pay for their water. And, um, you know, the nationwide water rates have gone up 40% over the last 10 years. So there are programs, and one of them is uh, provisions put into the infrastructure bill that our caucus, the Water Equity and Climate Resilience Caucus, worked on with Representative Tlaib. Um, and so almost uh, half a billion dollars went into the infrastructure bill to help with affordability. And um, hearing people uh, tracking progress, studying disconnections, helping people through the application process if there are barriers. Um, very encouraging. And the Water Equity and Climate Resilience Caucus hosted a beautiful workshop on narrative change, and I, I'm part of the narrative change group. So proud of my colleagues. Uh, Lupe was there, Jose. We had uh, Maritza Alvarez speak with Sacred Places Institute, and Maritza went on to win the Artist of the Year Award tonight at the U.S. Water Alliance Water Awards, and so proud to, to uh, know her and know of her work uh, as an incredible filmmaker. Um, but our narrative change group, wow, really took it there in terms of 
indigenous wisdom and spirituality, emotional, cultural, spiritual connection to water. And so many folks in the room work in utilities and work in uh, less culturally oriented sectors of water. And it was the most well-attended workshop of the day. And um, amazing. One of the things uh, that was said is social change moves at the speed of narrative change. And narratives, of course, are collections of stories that reinforce a larger story. So in order for us to shift culture, we have to shift cultural values. And our cultural values are often uh, embraced through the lens of a narrative. And um, I, I was just thinking about what a different place this world would be if all of us could lean into learning about each other's narratives with curiosity and compassion. It would be such a different world rather than fighting and dominating one another and trying to force our narratives onto each other. Like, okay, you're operating with a different narrative than me. Big deal. What's your narrative? Why do you embrace it? And so I think we just have to try to model that. I think I just have to model that and continue to lean into curiosity and compassion. Um, I love that Lupe started this session by acknowledging that all of us are carrying unseen weight. And for her, she, she mentioned what's been happening in the Middle East and Gaza. And she said for others, it might be other pieces uh, of of grief that we're carrying, of what's going on behind the curtain with our families and uh, what we care about, what we believe in. And um, yeah, by the end, we were all um, really feeling empowered to, to change narratives. And um, another thing that Jose said, Jose works with the Water Hub, relationships are infrastructure, stories are data, and water is a human right. Um, we, we did some conversation at our tables, got to know some really cool people, a couple of whom I already knew through the caucus work and Chantel with American Rivers. Um, she talked about how impactful the Sackett versus the EPA decision was this year. This was that big ruling, the Supreme Court to remove protections for wetlands. Uh, which enabled developers to just really go to town. And some states have um, blocked us at the state level and upheld wetlands protections. Others have not, um, and the impacts are already really felt. One of the things that came out of the, the table breakouts is this comment about how much hubris there is around our ability to engineer our way out of anything without changing our behaviors, our narratives, our relationships with nature and water, and um, how ridiculous that is, and yet it's pervasive. Um, really powerful day. A couple highlights from today. Running into my buddy Joe from Milwaukee Water Commons and cruising on the Lazy River with him a couple times around, catching up on each other's work on either side of Lake Michigan. And um, and some NBA uh, NBA passion there too. Then I move over to the jacuzzi, and there's eight people in there from different cities: Chicago, L.A., Pittsburgh, 
um, me up in Northern Michigan and beautiful conversation about everything from um, stormwater uh, treatment practices and stormwater management practices to um, the presence of packs of wild pigs out here in the desert, which had me questioning whether or not I wanted to take this nighttime hike. Um, and then more conversation about the NBA, some serious fans here. Again, music brings us together. Water brings us together and basketball does too. Peace. information, inspiration, interactions. Um, I got to say, I'm just so encouraged and heartened by the company here. And um, it's a revelation after revelation to just hear about what these people are up to, people that have not been on my radar, organizations that have not been on my radar. Um, and then going back to the awards last night was like one after another, you know, I could barely take notes fast enough hearing what people are up to and, um, and just writing down, you, you learn so much from someone giving a, a speech after they're awarded and who they thank and what they speak to, um, dig deep won the nonprofit award rain plan won the private sector award uh water loop which is a, a podcast um shout out to water loop um they won the communications award and then there's a special award at the end um woman from delaware state university and her students um they have this hemp lab and they're using hemp one of the students figured out how to use hemp to remove pfos from water incredible um so yeah just reflecting on all of that this morning over breakfast and um really nice breakfast with the water equity and climate resilience caucus so good for us to be together and um and just within the caucus, there's so much inspiring work and, and people that I get to interact with on Zoom on a regular basis and um, see once or twice a year, um, some more than others. People in um, Michigan, like Victoria and Monica from We the People Detroit, I get to see. Um, but we had a nice breakfast together, took a group photo, um, opening, wonderful opening reception um, with the land acknowledgement, blessing, 
speech from the mayor. Um, they're doing great work here in Tucson in terms of their water use. Population has increased by 200,000 since 1980, and they're using the same amount of water, um, which I, I don't know of any other cities that could say that. Um, and uh, within our team, we, our, our caucus, there's all these people that have also gone on to do other work, and one of them is Radhika Fox, who used to run the U.S. Water Alliance. Now she's at the EPA, and she has tremendous influence. I mean, the Office of Water oversees a $50 billion budget, and, um, and they're really... Um, the people who work there under this administration are really tuned in and have really been a part of this movement for a long time. They're not people coming from, like, <clears throat> extractive industries. Um, so, yeah, we t covered a lot of ground. The first workshop I went to this morning, a powerful crew of people, um, who are working on access. The access session was amazing. Emma Robbins was a part of it. I was told that I needed to meet her, and we did meet. And um, she's worked with Dig Deep for a while, done a lot of work uh, in Navajo country, now lives in L.A., and still goes back and forth to the res. Um, but she's working with a new organization called The Chapter House, and um, has a interesting arts component. We had folks there from West Virginia, um, Maryland. Um, we had people doing international work. Um, some great quotes um, in terms of the desert. The desert has such a harmony to it. Being stewards help us or helps us orient to supporting and allowing the natural harmony that exists without human interference. I talk about extractive industries. A lot of the folks in this access panel were representing communities that had been extracted from, um, either by industry or just by colonialism in general. And what happened like in West Virginia, for example, was there was this incredible abundance, good jobs with benefits, booming with money, communities get left behind entirely. The industries extracted natural resources and human labor and then moved on and left not only a mess, but also a lot of trauma behind. And this is like totally legal, normal costs of doing business. Um, and then within that, there are these stories of people finding solutions and finding joy and building community and stories of like the human spirit and, and our good nature coming forward and, and rising up. Um, really a lot of respect for this organization, Dig Deep, that was not on my radar, um, working, to prov uh, working to uphold the human right to clean water and um, getting water access in communities in a way that's completely led by those communities and getting people in those communities to do almost all of the work and get paid for it. Um, another thing that came up is the need for 
to have skills and trauma-informed care in order to work with communities that are in need of support with their water access. And I thought this was so powerful um, and great, you know, within this gathering of, of folks that come from different sectors. So you have like engineers and um, utility people here, and then you have artists and activists. And this trauma-informed care piece, I think, is completely under the radar of like, government policy, but individuals understand it because it's a part of their work. Um, and just the need to listen, to listen with your heart and don't make assumptions and to build trust over time. Um, so many of these communities that don't have water access or don't have clean water are communities that have historically been marginalized. People have been pushed to the margins, to the back burner, dehumanized. Um, especially in Native communities, um, the First Nation peoples of this land and the last to get citizenship of the country. Um, so powerful stuff. And, uh, and yeah, big shout out to Emma Robbins and her work. Um, and then I moved on to artist residencies and, and water. Um, heard from Stowe Len who's a, it's like S capital T O and then L E N and Stowe is a New York city based printmaker who does a lot of work with, um, polluted water and trash and recycling and, uh, waste tapping into the waste stream and creating art and has worked with all of these municipal, um, waste and recycling places and he started by um just going into polluted waterways in new york city uh, in a canoe and doing printmaking and trying to find beauty it was like the the alchemy of art and then um i kind of had to take a break it was a lot to take in and even during a break you see other people tapping out and having these emergent conversations so i walked to go back to my room in there at the elevator, a group of people, excuse me, it's late. A group of people having a conversation about stormwater management and um, all of them are doing it in different cities and they found each other. And um, we had a happy hour session that the Water Equity Climate Resilience Caucus hosted. That was really nice tonight. And... Uh, it's powerful to be having these conversations in the desert um, and also to see how alive the desert is. Um, yeah, I'm orienting toward returning to Michigan tomorrow, feeling really grateful for all these people that every day are doing their work, every day trying to do that work more effectively and um, also carrying grief, carrying grief as individuals and collective grief um, and continuing to show up for healing and to show up for work for the common good. And, and that's what I'm here for and, and, and to be able to connect with folks who, um, 
have found new ways of doing things and for us to get together like this, it has profound ripple effects. And it's that concept of fractals where um, at any scale, if something is created, it can be replicated at any scale. So if someone is doing something new, found a, a, a way of being more effective um, in some small town in the Midwest, um, it could have a huge influence on a major city or the federal government or the world. And that's how things go. And um, on we will go. Sweet dreams for tonight and then back to Michigan. from the One Water Summit back to Michigan, Anishinaabe territory. You can hear my daughter Iris in the background singing in the shower. And uh, I'm gonna talk about one of the things that I gathered from the conference, um, talking to my new friend, Alexis. Um, Alexis Fraz is uh, involved with a consulting firm, um, called Helicon Collab. And she's worked with a bunch of nonprofits, including U.S. Water Alliance. And we had this great conversation with my friend Katie Lackey with PolicyLink. And we were talking about the arts. And she's an artist. I'm an artist. There's There were a number of people who are artists that were at the One Water Summit. My friend Benny Starr. Emma Robbins is an artist. And anyway, Alexis was talking about how people talk about bringing artists to the table or having people create art um, around causes or movements, which is great. And to take it a step further, she was involved in some work with the U.S. Water Alliance to actually apply the principles of creative practice to the work of organizing and activism and policy. Um, and she quoted um, this woman, Rawa uh, Germatsian, I want to say, who was involved with Push Buffalo. And Rawa talked about these three principles of creative practice, rigor, discipline, and discernment. So when I'm writing a song or making an album, it requires rigor, it requires discipline, and it requires ongoing discernment. And when she said that, I thought about my last album, Unrest and Rest, which took a year and a half to make. And there were times when it required so much of all three of these things. Um, it required rigorous work and pushing through blocks, and it required that discipline uh, of me forging on and working toward my goal 
and it required ongoing discernment. And there were times when discernment was very hard, but it was absolutely required in order to complete the task. And I'm so glad that I was able to apply these things. If I hadn't made, you know, 50 to 100 albums before that, I mean, definitely 12 albums with my own name on it and a, a, a solid 50 that I helped produce and then another 50 that I was involved in as an instrumentalist. If I hadn't been involved in that process um, and I hadn't rigorously made albums and been disciplined about it for the last 20 years, I don't know if I would have had the capacity to get through this one because there were times when it was so confusing and admittedly some of the songs were such a mess that discernment was really hard. Um, but all three of these things kind of work together. So um, I had to be rigorous about my discernment and keep trying and keep putting the pen to the page and keep putting the headphones on and keep going back into the studio and working outside the studio. And so any creative practice has these things. And so I thought that was really cool to think of not just having art be a part of movements, but the way that we make art can also be the way that we approach movements. And so I'm thinking about this moment that we have now where people are becoming increasingly aware of the global freshwater crisis. People are becoming increasingly aware of how important it is here in the United States, um, in our rural communities, in our urban communities, all across the board, how important water is, how important water protection is, how many threats there are to our water, and how important it is to engage people across any barriers and boundaries and identities and ages. The generations, um, it's something that unifies all of us, the need for clean water. And it's something that all of us can come together and collaborate on. And we need to practice rigor. We need to practice discipline. We need to practice discernment. And um, I'm so jazzed. Huh. Dad jokes all day for you. To be a musician who also is working in the water sector. Um not only because activism, I feel like, is good for my heart and it uh, gives my life meaning and purpose that I bring to my music, um, and not only because as an artist, I approach work with heart and soul and then bringing that heart and soul into things like policy, um, conferences where there are people in the utilities, people who are in academia, people who are in the private sector, people who are in the nonprofit sector, all these sectors, all working on water to bring, you know, my full self as an artist into that space. It brings things of value into that space. But then also because as an artist, I've learned a lot about hard work, I've learned a lot about per perseverance, um, about bringing emotion and emotionality um, into work 
that is important for everyone involved to feel their hearts and to feel a certain amount of investment of care and that I'm a part of this water equity and climate resilience caucus that PolicyLink convened and, and we're about that. We're about the spiritual aspects of this work. We're about centering indigenous leadership and emotion and arts and culture and spirituality in it. And to see this involvement within the larger sector, was, people gravitated toward that because we're all human and we all need that. It's a part of all of us. And, and if it's not a regular part of our work, it's, it's a part of our lives that we hold dear and we gravitate towards. So a lot of key takeaways from the One Water Summit. And most of all, I feel encouraged that so many good people are in all of these communities across the country doing this work, finding solutions. People deeply care. I feel valued in this work. I feel a sense of community that's growing. I feel a, a sense of commitment that's deep. <laughs> and, um, and having gone through some challenging times in these last few months, uh, I feel also supported in moving at my own pace and centering my own health and well-being and um, not going past my thresholds and not bypassing my, um, my capacity because of a sense of urgency and drive. In fact, I feel a sense of responsibility to not burn out and drain myself and to be able to stay in the in the magic of the work and in the joy of the work as a central commitment and to for it to be as bob russell said it should be fun at least 70 percent of the time and then when he got a little older he jacked that up to 80 percent whatever you're doing if it's a relationship if it's um a job it should be fun 80 percent of the time and if it isn't you need to reevaluate um so gratitude to the U.S. Water Alliance, gratitude to the Water Equity Climate Resilience Caucus, all the organizers, um, and on we go. by the Clean Water Campaign for Michigan. This campaign represents an opportunity to help place clean water issues front and center by partnering with environmental organizations across the state, by educating voters, and by urging every candidate running for public office to make a strong stand on critical issues affecting Michigan's waters. Using storytelling and music events across the state to amplify the groundswell of public support for clean water issues, this campaign is driven by Michiganders from all walks of life who share a similar priority, protection of our water. Both State of Water and the Clean Water Campaign are programs of the Michigan-based nonprofit Title Track. Their mission 
engaging creative practice to build resilient social ecological systems that support clean water, racial equity, and youth empowerment. <laughs>